You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. What is reality, being, existence? I am obsessed to find the way of our world. Philosophers tell me to do metaphysics, that metaphysics seeks to explain all there is, that metaphysics addresses the most profound questions, like what kind of things exist? How does causality work? Does roundness exist by itself, as opposed to only round things? Can stuff persist, remain the same over time? Are those questions too abstract? How about, does God exist? Are you a soul? Do you have free will? Is metaphysics for real? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. Metaphysics can easily be irrelevant, woolly, abstract, academic. That's why I begin my metaphysical quest in New York on a very cold day with British philosopher Colin McGinn. Colin's a clear thinker. He's tough, too, and not embarrassed to challenge convention or plead ignorance. Metaphysics is really just a broad description of reality. Take a, take a science like physics or biology, it'll tell you what kinds of things there are, mm -hmm. so that the physicist will tell you which kind of particles there are, whether there are fields in addition to matter, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. A biologist will tell you what kinds of entities there are, what kind of species, what kind of organs, cells, and so on and so on. A metaphysician is doing the same kind of thing, but on a much broader scale. So a metaphysician is wanting to know what are the basic kind of things that the world contains. Now, traditionally, there have been three. There's been the material world, there's been the mental world, and there's been the abstract world. The abstract world is the world of numbers, mm -hmm. uh, propositions, theories, mm -hmm. meanings, and perhaps, and, and so on. Uh, logic. So many metaphysicians have taken their start from the idea that there are these three basic categories. Now once you've made that tripartite distinction, questions arise. Which of these is the more fundamental category? Mm -hmm. That's a very classic example of a metaphysical question. Does reality divide into these three groups? And if so, how are they related to each other? In today's world, the majority of uh, scientists would, would, would listen to that and say, yes, that all was true. But now that science has given us our understanding of reality, it really is no longer relevant because only the physical world is really real. And so that's, that's what the real world is and all the other conversation is really ancient history. Well, there would be two kinds of objections, wouldn't there, to that position. One would be, if you say only that the material world is real, then you must suppose that, that, that the mental world is unreal. But on the, there's another front, which is, well, what about the abstract world? So some mathematicians have been insisting recently that 
you know, you need to take a more Platonist view of mathematics. Mm -hmm. And so there is more than the material that, world. There's, that, that, that's the, true. there's the mathematical world mm -hmm. too. But there are other metaphysical questions a bit more specific, like what's causality? A scientist uses the idea of causality in ordinary scientific context. But if you ask, given analysis of causality, what does it involve? Does it involve necessary connections? Does it just involve constant conjunctions? Another metaphysical question is, do entities exist through time? Or should we only suppose that there are events in the universe which are causally connected to each other? The charge is made that metaphysics in specific, even philosophy in general, really doesn't make progress. Well, I think there's some truth in that. If you compare philosophy to science, certainly there's not been the same kind of progress. Now, the question is, is that a criticism of philosophy? It doesn't follow, you see, from admitting there is this difference that that's a criticism. I'll give you a very straightforward argument for that. Has arithmetic made any progress since the ancient Greeks? Well, no. Why is that? Because they sorted it all out long ago. It didn't need to make any progress. Now, there's a further aspect of this, which is, if we ask what's the reason that we don't make the kind of progress yes. we do in, in, in metaphysics or in philosophy, there may be specific reasons for that. So I, myself, think that at least some questions in philosophy don't make progress because they test our limits of knowledge, uh, which we don't in science. It, it opens up our thoughts to realizing the world is not as simple as we think. Mm. It's good to, to have the, the, that openness that results from realizing not all questions can be answered by consulting a textbook. Metaphysics opens my eyes, uncovers how reality is constructed. I was as if half blind. Now, with metaphysical glasses, I see. But I'm still bothered. Why, I wonder, after three millennia of metaphysics, nothing much, really big, really sure, has been determined. Philosophers are always arguing. I head off to Notre Dame to speak with philosopher Peter Van Inwagen. Peter specializes in metaphysics, and I like how he thinks. If it doesn't work, he won't force it. Of course, he has his own views of how the world works. People are interested in these questions. People persist in thinking about them. If you're going to think about them, you might as well think about them well. Part of what thinking about them well means is knowing what the options are. Mm -hmm. For instance, if it's really worth your while to consider a question like whether God exists or whether the mind is separate from the body or whether mathematics describes a reality that's different from physical reality uh, or uh, whether the will is free, uh, if it's worth having opinions about these mm -hmm. questions at all, it must be worth the possible objections to your uh, opinion are, the objections that actually have been offered and taken seriously. It must be worth your while to know what the arguments in favor of it. It must be worth while knowing what the distinctions are. You say you believe in free will. Are you aware of the different things that could be meant by uh, the term free will? The question whether everything of the sort that we can observe can be treated as a single thing, that's an interesting question because if you think that everything has a cause, then it follows that everything that we observe taken as a whole has a cause. Hmm. But if you think that everything that we observe is just a lot of different things that don't form a whole, then that principle that everything has a cause can be observed even though there's no cause outside that system of things. Each one is caused by something inside it, within the, the system. system. So that's an excellent example of how this seemingly metaphysical and abstract question of interest only to specialists interacts with the principle 
uh, that everything has a cause, which many people uh, accept to produce very different answers. So what seems to be a very abstract philosophical issue of only interest to specialists really has impact on everything that we can conceive about in terms of, of, of what we're all about. Most people would think that questions about what we're all about, if they're not going to be answered by the question, is all this caused by something that's not part uh, of all this? That's not going to settle the answer to that question, but that should be an important part mm. of what the answer is to it. A theist is going to say it's extremely important to a correct conception of ourselves that we realize that all this is caused by something outside it, and an atheist will say it's extremely important to our conception of ourselves to realize that it's not caused by something uh, outside it. Which makes the question so important, even if there's no answer that we can discern. Even if there's no answer that we can discern, people don't refrain from believing things simply because uh, their beliefs can't be proved. Which makes metaphysics something that's terribly germane to deal with the fundamental subjects of reality, including theology. Every theologian is partly a metaphysician. So metaphysics enters the great debate between theists and atheists, but few on either side appreciate its participation. Theists worry that metaphysics is too much human reason and too little godly faith. Atheists worry that metaphysics is too much idle speculation and too little hard science. So if metaphysics is so important, why is it so ridiculed? I go to Harvard Divinity School to see Philip Clayton, a metaphysics believer who constructs a science-sensitive theology. Can Phil make progress with metaphysics? Metaphysics is a fascinating phoenix. We kill it and it rises from the ashes. In the 20th century, we killed it. We killed it in the 1920s. It was called logical positivism. And we said all that can be known are empirical facts. And anything beyond that is meaningless. And so we killed it off and we did science. And then amazingly, we found it necessary to raise some questions at the boundaries of those sciences. Let's just take a few examples. We found that there was a certain unknowability at the quantum level, which we expressed mathematically as Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. And we found it had something to do with a measurement of quantum states. Something happened that we didn't understand. And that led to the most fascinating rebirth, Phoenix-like, of metaphysics. Is reality at the core indeterminate? Does it take a subjective observer to resolve an indeterminacy into real reality? Is reality at the basis bits of information that we draw together? Each of those then gave rise to the need to raise these fundamental metaphysical questions. And a new kind of metaphysics was reborn not one dictated by Plato, Aristotle, and the Middle Ages, one with scientists at struggling over the very empirical data that they work on. How about the development of the field of consciousness? Yeah, there's another example, and for me, the most fascinating of all. So we're in an age when we're able to understand neurological processes and how they correlate with thought. 
you would hope as a scientist that you could then take that step and through the neurological processes construct consciousness. But it turned out apparently that we can't do that bridge. Okay, so now we're showing why metaphysics has re been resurrected. So what now does metaphysics do? Here's the metaphor I would use. Imagine the metaphysician as somebody who has his feet or her feet firmly grounded in the sciences, but has a leash, like the spacewalk that occurs out, outside of the space platform. And you have some space to float around, but you're always tethered back to the hard, to the firm ship of reality. So where have you floated? <laughs> in consciousness, for example, it seems that there's this capacity which is more than the sum of the parts. How am I going to think that? Is there an eternal soul? Doesn't seem plausible to me. Is it some apprehension of a mind-like nature of reality? Perhaps. Is there something about personhood which is emergent and metaphysically real within the world? Has a world of dead matter produced living mind? What I'm advocating is that we take a question like the nature of consciousness, we look at the most plausible option, a small number, and then we try to test them to see which ones do the most justice to the scientific data and which ones are the most coherent within themselves and with the rest of human experience. Are you telling me that we should use the scientific method to extend ourselves beyond science? Is that contradictory? No, that's exactly what I think is the human condition. What drives it is the attempt to be reasonable about ultimate questions that humans face. And what drives it also is our constant, I want to say, existential quest. As an animal that knows it will die, I find myself confronted with those questions. And I have no option other than to try to formulate answers. Driven by that constant existential quest, me too, Phil. I've also no other option. Phil's claim is that metaphysics is a vital tool to explore reality, grounded in science, yet sufficiently free to venture beyond the boundaries of science. I can go with that, but I'd best be careful. I'm in danger of listening to those whom I like. Some philosophers criticize metaphysics, exposing its very human and very frail foundations. I'd better find one. I visit Berkeley and meet George Lakoff, a linguistics philosopher who promotes the power of language. Is language an asset or a liability? in my search for reality. I don't think I'll like what George will say, which is precisely why I must hear him say it. Let's start with time. When you start studying time in the languages of the world, you find that certain metaphors persist, language after language after language. Time is understood in terms of space in two ways. Uh, one is sort of a line, you, uh, as if someone is moving over time, so they're spread out. So you do things over time, within a certain amount of time, you say, we're coming up on Christmas, okay? 
Uh, the other one, assuming that times are coming towards you, the time is like a flow that goes by you of entities. So Christmas is coming up on us. And you can have one or two metaphors. We're coming up on Christmas, Christmas is coming up on us. Now, the crucial part is that you think in terms of those metaphors, and there are psychological experiments showing that people actually do think that way. And that's true around the world. It's not just in English. So then the question is, what is time? Now, if you think of it from the point of view of the concept of time, you have to do it with your brain. Time is understood and measured relative to cycles. So you have the cycle of the sun going across the sky. Uh, you have cycles of repeated things like water drops or uh, cesium atoms, uh, etc. That is, you assume that there are regular phenomena that go over and over again, where you assume the notion same time between them. Now, it's been discovered in the brain that there are certain firing cycles. That coordinates the beating of your heart, your breathing, all the other cyclic notions in your body. What you're doing when you understand time is you're understanding one event in terms of cyclic events. That is what you're doing. You're taking uh, an event. An event has a structure. It's called an aspectual structure in linguistics. It's a structure that says uh, you have a beginning, you might have a middle, you might have an ending point. There might be iterations. It could be continuous. It could be all at once. It could be a state that goes on. There can be changes. But there is that structure. And in every language, that aspectual structure is fit onto a spatialized time that goes on indefinitely and they're fit together. So are you differentiating our concept of time, which is one whole way of thinking, from what time is in reality? What, what There may th be no such thing as time in reality, and that's what's interesting. There may be just events in reality. Does time then exist in any sense independent of our metaphorical conception of it? Unlikely. Our metaphorical conception is that time is spatialized. And we have two metaphorical conceptions. Is time flowing or is it not? Think of the old paradoxes of time, and they have to do with those metaphors. The paradoxes go like this. If I shoot an arrow, when is the arrow moving? Pick an instant of time. Well, at that instance, it's not moving. Well, what other, and when is it moving? Well, there's no instance you can pick when it's moving. That means it's, it's not moving. That has to do with the metaphorical understanding of time as having been broken down into instants. Right? That is the flaw in that paradox. And there are many paradoxes of time. For example, does the future exist now? Is the future flowing? Is it coming toward us? Is it going in the past? Does the past exist now because things are going out? No, that's a metaphor. We are conceptualizing time metaphorically, and that metaphorical conception is not out there in the world. And all the philosophical paradoxes are based on the fact that our only conceptions of time are metaphorical. To George, metaphor is our reality, not reality itself. Because, he argues, the human brain has no direct access to reality itself. We just can't avoid the limitations of language. And so any objective external reality is either non-existent or unknowable. So, is metaphysics dead? I'm not ready to give up on it. I like metaphysics too much. 
Perhaps Dean Zimmerman, a philosopher of religion at Rutgers, can once again resurrect metaphysics. I hope he can, but he's a believer. So again, I'd best be careful. Dean, how can metaphysics and the way of thinking of a metaphysician help us understand what's real? Well, uh, it doesn't seem to be something that we can get away from. So, uh, so metaphysics seems, you know, it keeps pulling me back in, <laughs> like the uh, Godfather. You know, it, it continually buries its undertakers, I guess the saying goes. So there's, there's a sense in which it's, it's kind of inevitable, I think, the questions that metaphysics asks. Now you're asking, can it give us answers? I'm a bit skeptical how much confidence we should feel in the answers that, that we, as metaphysicians, come up with. But why is it impossible to bury, then? Well, because to bury it would be to show that, it's a, a, that the questions themselves are a, a tissue of confusion, that, that they, you know, they're meaningless, they're senseless, you can't even raise them. If you ask them, you're, you're making some fundamental mistake. Uh, that would be to really bury metaphysics. And, and that just hasn't happened. I mean, you can ignore it for a while. <laughs> and, and there have been doctrines that have, have had the, the, the effect of, of declaring all metaphysical questions meaningless. But they always end up having some internal problems, or they're just a, a way of distracting us, and people end up asking the questions anyway. Well, let's ask some of these questions. What are the constellation of metaphysical questions? Well, I think the thing that unites most of the questions that come under the heading of metaphysics is that they have to do somehow with what's fundamental. When you have many things that all are similar in some way, what fundamentally does that involve? Does it fundamentally involve something that they have in common, where this is a literal entity, a thing that exists in the world somehow, that's present in all of them. So if I see a red toy, a red stop sign, a red, uh, uh, a red sweater. A red sunset. Right, a red sunset. The question is, uh, all those different things have something red. Uh, is that, what is that red? Yes. This is the ancient problem of universals. Do you have to posit something over and above the concrete in entities? Do you have to, in addition to those, posit redness? which is what they all have in common? Or is it possible to regard this talk about features had in common, uh, a feature that they have in common? Okay, that's one category of, that metaphysics explores. What are some others? The mind-body problem has uh, you know, sort of empirical aspects to it, obviously, that you can only settle by going and uh, poking around in people's brains and so on. But it has more abstract metaphysical aspects to it. When you ask, what kind of thing am I, uh, and what is thinking? One question there is, what kind of thing am I fundamentally? So do I belong in the category of material objects, or am I not? Am I something, something else, somehow, that's, that's not made up out of this kind of stuff? You know, one way to try to resist metaphysics is to deny that there is a fundamental level. But of course, that, in a way, is a fundamental you're sort level. of, you're, 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 in a way, you're making all the categories equally fundamental. 
But that doesn't do away with metaphysics. That's a metaphysical position. My point exactly. <laughs> so we may not be able to settle these questions, answer them. I think we do make some progress in seeing uh, in detail how the various answers hang together. But I don't think we're ever going to be able to stop answering them or asking them. There will usually be questions that are left on the table. The questions that are left on the table. This is the core of metaphysics. Go far, really far, into the future. Assume that science completes its vast enterprise of explaining everything. Will there remain any residue? Will anything be left over that science cannot, can never explain? Most scientists say no, there is nothing about the world that science, in principle, cannot explain. Scientists generally ignore metaphysics. Those who do discuss it often ridicule it. Not me. Apprehending existence is humanity's greatest quest. And there may be kinds of truths beyond science. Mental, spiritual, abstract worlds, things, stuff, categories, causation, values, morals, mind, consciousness, God. So is metaphysics for real? Yes, I think so. Sort of. Asking big metaphysical questions, even though I expect no agreement on big metaphysical answers, takes us on the long road closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.